This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Pour yourself a cold one. They strike him, huh? And listen to Russ Tucker break down the top college prospects on another tasty edition of The College Draft. Yeah, it is Daddy Soda time here on the College Draft Podcast, our first college draft in the month of April, which is draft season. We are presented by BetOnline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. They have stepped up their game. 100% sign-up bonus if you use the promo code PODCAST1. He's back, Matt Waldman. From the rookie scouting portfolio after going in the bunker for a month to produce the most beastliest, beastly draft preview there's ever been. The rookie scouting portfolio. Follow Matt on Twitter at Matt Waldman. You can also check him out. His website, MattWaldmanRSP.com. If you want the rookie scouting portfolio, really want to dive into his process how it's different, better than teams today. Really looking forward to that. I'm Ross Tucker, former NFL offensive lineman, five teams, seven years. Now I've got five podcasts for over seven years. Fantasy Feast, we'll have Evan Silva on this week, breaking down his mock draft, which was the best in the country a year ago. We will also have certainly a guest on the Even Money podcast, one of you, one of the listeners, is going to be on the Even Money podcast talking about how they won the Bet Online contest, which is very cool. Then uh, it was a survivor pool. Then uh, today on the Raw Sucker Football podcast, unbelievable story of a draft prospect. You want to hear an unbelievable story? Listen to Jan Johnson, Penn State's captain and middle linebacker, on today's Ross Tucker Football podcast. Can't tell you how much it means, those of you that rate and review the show these days. It makes a big difference as people are looking for draft podcasts. If you can just real quick give us five stars, that would be amazing. If you take a screenshot after you give us the five stars and email it to me, ross at rosstucker.com, you can ask Matt and I any question you want, and we will get it in before the draft. So if it's about a specific prospect or... If it is about your team and what they should do, get it in. Rate and review. Screenshot that bad boy. Ross at RossTucker.com. All right, Matt. It's done. I have it. A lot of the listeners hopefully have it. If they don't, they should go to MattWallmanRSP.com to get it. The Rookie Scouting Portfolio. I know you get asked about it all the time. What is your elevator pitch? How would you describe it? Yeah, I mean, the RSP is really three things. It's a draft guide for quarterback, running back, wide receiver, and tight end. It's a fantasy draft guide for those who play in um, redraft leagues and dynasty leagues. And it's also a methodology for how to evaluate those positions. And it lays all of that out 
and you get a pre-draft version and that's a primer and, and a very in-depth primer and a post-draft version that comes out after the draft for you to see how those players fit within their schemes and a look at their depth chart and gives you a more pinpoint evaluation based on their fit with that team and scheme. Wow, that was very concise, Matt. For, and how, how long is it? How big is it? it? This one, this year, it's a it's roughly twelve hundred pages. The uh, the con it's a lot. It seems like the content that most people will read is about five hundred pages, um, and then the rest of it is supporting material, which is what kind of differentiates the RSP from a lot of other um, things that you'll see out there that are related to the NFL draft. Well, explain that a little bit. Yeah, because see, my background, obviously, I wasn't, I wasn't a player. I wasn't a coach or an NFL scout. Um, I came from a, um, really from management, from managing people in operations and then um, doing some quality management. And I, I learned about evaluating people and different aspects of processes and having to, had to get certified in, in, in kind of best-in-class types of processes to implement at the at the um, you know in the industry that I was in, um, and a lot of what I learned, I realized as being a big football fan all of my life, that a lot of what I learned was about how to create processes that evolved over time, that they were continuously evolving, and as you learn more and gain more knowledge about what it is that you were you were evaluating, the the better your evaluation process would become, and I thought this was something that I could apply to evaluating football. And so I always had enjoyed playing fantasy football. I'd started writing about fantasy football and I thought, you know, I kind of had a knack for being able to watch rookies or watch players in the college game and figure out at least on a very basic level, these are guys that I think are going to be pretty good um, when they get to the NFL. So I thought I would, I would apply that and see if I could create something with the same types of um, knowledge that I had learned and, and gotten um, certified for. So part of that process is it's because it's an evolving process, it has to be one transparent. The things that you do have to be well-defined. So if I'm looking at a running back, you know, I, I need to be able to define what power is or contact balance or vision and, and agility, and I have to define each of those things, not only for people to understand what it is I'm looking at, but also to pinpoint all the various little subcategory parts of the criteria so that I could grade it properly. So you're really deconstructing everything that you can into a more fine-grained detail, and then you're grading it on a level where it's it's very clear how you're grading it. So the purpose of that is that you don't want to have a lot of variation with your grade. You want to make sure that what you've defined is clear enough so that when you look at a player, no matter how different their styles are, you've encompassed what it is that you're looking at. Um, and even whether it's one person doing the grading or whether it's five, you want to make sure that everyone's pretty much on the same page with how they do that. So this methodology that I've used, you know, when I first started doing this, you know, 15 years ago, you know, I had a lot to learn. So it was a matter of, you know, it's gotten 
more fine grained in detail in certain areas. And in certain areas, it's actually become even maybe a little bit less where I've realized I don't need to go drill down that deeply. And over those years, I've evolved that and updated the definitions and things like that. But what the RSP does is it takes you through that evaluation process. It shows you how I define things, but I try to do it also in a way that's entertaining in a, in a manner of where you get to see how that fits in the into the the scope of the NFL draft each year, and then showing you how these players compare in specific categories. Um, you know, as I go through the process, and then I give a very in-depth profile of that player that just shows you everything that he that he does well, the techniques that he needs to learn. Um, you know, what my perceptions of him may be before I really got into diving into his game or what we're seeing, you know, from people in the industry in terms of what his perception is. Um, and then, you know, explaining why I feel differently about that or also why maybe I agree with it. So let's get a little bit more specific then, Matt. Can you give an example of what you're talking about? Pick a position. I know you do very well especially with like running backs and wide receivers, but whether it's one prospect or one position, can you kind of go through your work and, and how you go about it? I know it's probably tough for some people that don't have it in front of them, can't really visualize it, but just kind of talk through a player. I don't care if it's a receiver, DeAndre Swift, whatever, but how you would go about the process, how you've refined the process for that position and how a specific player, maybe Swift or whoever, would, would be evaluated through that process. Sure, and Swift's a, that, we'll use him as a good example. So one of the things that I'll do is, you know, when I evaluate players, I'll go through anywhere between, you know, I, I shoot for somewhere between about 8 to 12 games to, to watch these guys in depth. And when I mean in depth, I use you know, my, my system for evaluating it. So what I'll do is I'll watch the tape, obviously rewind and stop and look at every detail that I possibly can, that I have a checklist of items that I've defined over the years of, of what I'm looking for. So I'm looking for, you know, for a running back, you're going to see probably about 35, I'm trying to remember offhand, about 35 to 45 different criteria points that I'm actually looking for that make up these categories. So, you know, power has, um, you know, has multiple criteria points, you know, things like, do they, you know, they use good pad level. Do they drag defenders um, forward for extra yards? Are they able to break specific types of tackles? And I even break down the tackle types, you know, for instance, you know, whether it's someone trying to reach for them and just grab them and pull them back. Is it someone actually been able to wrap them? Is it also, or is it a hit, or is it a combination of a wrap or a hit? And each of those have a level of difficulty that I've I've defined, um, and that's just under the power area. And then you have things like contact balance, whether it's direct or indirect, in terms of the angle that it's coming at. Um, then I look at things like ball security, including how they carry it. You know, what points? You know, are they using the ball? Are they carrying the ball low and loose? Are they carrying the ball high and tight? Or is it high up at the chest or even loose at the elbow? And then I'm even looking at things like, you know, fumble rates, as well as do they switch the ball to the arm away from the, the angle of pursuit? Uh, and then that goes down to different, you know, criteria of speed, 
acceleration, vision, which to me is, you know, there's probably seven or there's about seven different things that you would define for vision because it's, you know, people think of vision in one way, but it's actually a lot about decision-making and, and maturity and how you understand blocking schemes in addition to whether you just see things out of your periphery. Um, elusiveness, which is, you know, again, encompasses footwork as well as the um, upper body type of moves and the ways that you apply them. Things like, you know, blocking, receiving. Um, and I look at all of those things. That's what that, you know, 35, 40 point checklist is about. And then I use, you know, I grade them on a checklist and then I also stack all of them into all the players into tiers for those those broader categories that each have criteria for saying, okay, these are the things that differentiate a guy from being, um, you know, a free agent level talent. These are the things that differentiate them from being a reserve level, a committee level, a starter level, and a, you know, a star or elite level talent. And each of those areas of like, you know, power balance, ball handling, speed, acceleration, vision, elusiveness, blocking and receiving, each of those are in those tiers. So every player stack ranked in those tiers and those tiers have a specific number of points that equal a 100 point scale. So I try and make it very intuitive so that you're looking at a player on a 100 point scale that we've all been accustomed to say in grade school. Um, and then I give you an idea of what those, um, what those ranges on a 100 point scale are equal to. So, you know, whether a guy, if he scores an, you know, an 89, then that means this is, to me, this is a guy who's an instant starter, who's going to be, you know, a, a core guy on the team who's going to be, um, you know, counted on for a strong amount of production every week, where as opposed to maybe a guy who scores an 82, which is someone who it can be put into a lineup and give you starter production and probably even strong production if they're playing towards a strength. So for instance, if they're going to put, you know, a Devin Singletary would be an example of guy who has, you know, played on a Bills offense where they put him in the lineup in a rotation with Frank Gore and they used him on, you know, screen passes. They used him on draw plays. They used him on certain types of, of run plays that fit what he does well, but they weren't asking him to, to run every different type of scheme or to be a big part of maybe pass protection. Um, so you have different tiers of, you know, instant starter, rotational starter, a contributing starter, someone who, again, you know, maybe a, a guy who plays in four wide receiver sets, but they feature him on, you know, slot fades deep because they know that's something that he does really well, winning the ball one-on-one, -on -one. or maybe they feature him only solely in, against zone defenses where he also can win well in the middle of the field and be able to run after the catch. And then you have, you know, tiers that go down from there. So all of that's, all of that's kind of added up and I show people, you know, those different tiers. And I talk about who I think the, is the best in those tiers, who I think can improve in those tiers, who I think, you know, has a lot of work to do within those tiers that may be difficult for them to, you know, make an instant impact or even maybe even overcome some of the flaws that they have, which means that teams may have to work around them. So I kind of, I take you through that chapter of, you know, who's the best, who needs improvement, who, who may have difficult things to overcome with. And I even give 
little bonuses. And I explained that some of those bonuses with players are where maybe you've seen them occasionally flash those techniques or skills that you need, that they need to have to get to the next tier in these stack rankings. Um, but they haven't quite done it yet. So if I've watched eight to 10 games and I've seen two games where they've done this rather well in like one or two instances, but they're very clear cut, strong techniques, but I haven't seen enough of it on a consistent basis to give them a higher grade. I give them a bonus. So they're kind of in between two tiers and it gives you, and, and the same thing goes with maybe there's a player who there's something that's easy to learn about their game. You know, it's something that when they get to the next level, these are areas that are expected for them to learn. So for a, a running back, maybe it's about learning how to deliver a good punch as a pass protector. They're getting their feet set right. They're, they're, diagnosing the blitz correctly um but they're punching with a with a jab rather than really delivering that uppercut in and rolling through their hips to get that punch you know that's something that a player who's already demonstrated those other techniques that's something that that's a little bit easier for them to learn over time they can get a bonus for that now if they're very athletic guys um, and they have certain types of skills that already would unlock their pass protection to even higher level if they're you know, a, a bigger guy like maybe, you know, Cam Akers or, or Zach Moss or someone along those lines, you know, they may get a balance. They, they may be able to deliver a punch with even more power um, and be able to also stay with a, a, an outside linebacker or even just long enough with the defensive end on certain case, in certain cases where they get even maybe an upside bonus. So I give these types of bonuses um, for players to help project not only what they are now, but what they could become. Um, so for a guy like DeAndre Swift as a receiver, he's a good example of a guy who, you know, catches the ball really well, doesn't run great routes, um, but he's a starter level receiver in, in my tier. Um, to be a star, he has to really run routes that are able to set up through his stem and with his release where he breaks open immediately. And he doesn't do that very well, but he gets upside because not only does he catch the ball well in tight coverage and with different from different angles, but he's also really skilled at being able to find an open area once that first route doesn't break open. So he has a good feel for open zones for working against tight man to be able to break open. It's just that he has to become better at running the original route. But if you can break open and do those types of things, you know, on the fly and do that well and work well with your quarterback that he trusts you to find that opening. To me, that's even a little bit harder than actually just running the actual route. So I think it's just more attention to detail for something like that. So a lot of, you know, a lot of scouting is projection. So you have to account for what you see and what they could become. So all of that's done and takes, I take you through all of that with the rookie scouting portfolio. And then I get right up the profile that explains, you know, Here's what I think of DeAndre Swift, you know, here's, and, and, you know, I talk about the combine results. I talk about how that shows up on the field. So for instance, with Swift, you know, one of the interesting things about him is that he looks very quick on the field, but he looks like he's quicker than fast because he gets caught from behind a lot by linebackers and by safeties when he gets into the open field past about 20 yards. But what's interesting about him too, is that when he, had, he also had a number of games past 50 yards, and he, and if he got past 50 yards, he often scored. Um, so what was interesting about that is that when you look at the combine, 
his combine times didn't really show what I think a lot of people thought about him, which was quicker than fast, but his, his 40 time was actually faster than his 20 shuttle. And then you look at his three cone drill and it wasn't particularly fast. And people will look at that and say, well, that means that he's not very good at quick change of direction. But if you watch the film, he's absolutely fantastic at that. And one of the things that I try to explain is how the combine doesn't always match up with the physical skills of the player or how the player expresses those skills. So the three cone drill is usually about quick changes of direction, but if your style isn't to make deep bends and dropping your weight, then that doesn't match the exercise of the three cone drill. And one of the things that, that Swift is really sound at and really skilled at is using a lot of pressure cuts and more light footed cuts that don't require a lot of knee bend and weight drop to execute. And he's, he's one of the best at being able to do that. So in the same way that say a Dalvin cook didn't have a great three cone drill and it didn't have a great vertical, but was still great at being able to work around defenders at high speed. DeAndre Swift has similar skills. So I'm, I kind of show you how the sometimes when the combine matches and when it doesn't talk about the techniques he uses and where he can get better and, and give, put that in a narrative that can be anywhere between about a page to three to four pages long, depending on the player and the complexity of his game. And I rank all of those players, um, you know, in order. And then I give you charts that give you an idea of seeing just a shorthand that kind of shows you, you know, height, weight, the combine times, a quick little, you know, two to three sentences about the player a player comparison. I even do comparisons on like a spectrum of players. So for me, you know, I look at at kind of like you have like an upside comparison, then you have like a downside comparison. And I look at DeAndre Swift and I think his upside comparison is a D'Angelo Williams type of back. His downside comparison is more of a Damian Williams type of back. Um, You you know, and it, and it depends on, again, you, you look at that as part of the projection and say, okay, well, the low side of that projection is, maybe a player who might not be as decisive as he should be between the tackles um, and uh, and a little bit more dependent on certain schemes to work out where I think Damian Williams is that kind of player. Um, but both he and D'Angelo Williams were very good receivers. Williams is a little bit more upside because I think there's a better expression of power. There's a little better expression in terms of how he uses his vision. So I go through all of that. Um, with one player and you see that with like all of the players in each chapter and you get an overview in the chapter about, you know, what the past draft classes looked like, how many were drafted by round, how I think the way the NFL is evolving with the way they've picked players and how that draft class that, that the 2020 RSP is looking at fits in with all of that. And that's at the beginning of the chapter. What, uh, what mistakes do you think, teams make like in terms of your process and what you go about and I'm not saying that you you know necessarily know more than the teams or whatever but Absolutely you not. obviously <laughs> right you obviously have a have a very thorough process that you go through and so um how do you think your process differs from perhaps all the teams, some of the teams, a couple of teams in the NFL? Yeah, that's a great question because, you know, obviously I think the difference between my my process and team's process is that the team's processes have been rooted in, say, the Blesto scouting system or the national scouting system 
for years and those systems haven't changed since the football since the nfl pretty much helped those evolve back in the 50s and 60s um you know the nfl until recently and even still now is more of an insulated entity and just like any type of business that say was a private business or started out you know the business i came from the industry i came from was a very insulated industry and it was started out by a family and it was a it was a large private business that had you know that expanded to about 10,000 employees but it was the type of thing that they felt like they knew best because they were the ones that invented the wheel in that sense and i think the nfl in a sense has felt like it's invented the wheel and they've been insulated to what they do so that the first response is naturally we're we know what we're doing best and when we get on sign consultants it's still we still kind of approach it from an attitude is they have to prove that they know what they're talking about and it can sometimes be to the level that those people really do know what they're talking about but they're not as accepting about it so what happens is when you look at the scout it's to me it's not about the scouts because i think the scout there's some scouts who know a lot of scouts know so much about football and are very skilled and have lots of experience with it, but it can be about the process that they've used because it's the process the NFL has always used. You know, they have a, they have a one through nine scoring scale and you see that scale say NFL.com or an example anywhere of anybody who uses that. And the examples are, are very vague in terms of how they score it. They don't, you know, uh, there's like two sentence, you know, explanations or a phrase of an explanation where if you asked, you know, five guys in a room what a Pro Bowl player looks like at, at running back, you're going to get five different answers most of the time. Now, there are some teams that do a better job of defining their criteria, and they're, they're very clear about what they're looking for. A good example of that would be the Baltimore Ravens. They excel at being able to say, these are the types of players we're looking for. Here's how we define that. Um, but there are teams out there that you can look at. I've seen scouting reports that have been sent to me um, over the years uh, on some players. And there are some teams that you look at that that I look at and I think, well, that's, you know, it's pretty vague stuff. It just kind of gives you uh, strengths and weaknesses and what you may see as an anecdote about a play that they really thought was impressive. Um, you know, what this player, they may be like, you know, three or four sentences about what a player can do well a couple of sentences about what a player doesn't do extremely well and and then kind of a summation of why they think that player is a fourth round pick as opposed to a seventh round pick and again there's really when you look at the grades it 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 really doesn't add up it doesn't give you a transparent way to understand why the NFL is doing what it's doing and it creates a scenario where younger scouts can look at situations and realize well, you know what? I really like this player, but I don't want to stick my neck out about him. So let me give him a fourth round grade so that if, you know, things work out, I can say, well, you know, I had a fourth round grade on him. And then if he didn't work out as well, you can say, well, I only had a fourth round grade. So, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's kind of like the, it's kind of like the evaluations you see in the corporate workplace where, you know, I compare it to that because it's like, I remember having to evaluate people and at a company I was at where they were, they were kind of like the unwritten rule was you have a scale of one to seven. Nobody got a seven unless like the executive, you know, the executive tier of your company said it was called for because they were about to promote the person. 
And then you, no one really got a, a one or a two because they were, unless they were about to get fired. Um, so most everyone had a range between, you know, a three and a six. And even then you, it was more three to five. So it was the NFL inadvertently has created that type of dynamic because again, they, they invented the wheel, but they haven't necessarily had people who came in from a sector where they understand process management and putting in best practices for how they evaluate things. So they've, they've gotten people from the outside to maybe specialize in certain ways of how they interview and things like that, but that's what they need to work on. But on the other end, you know, they have all of these resources to be able to, you know, pull up film and show, you know, you know, a player on, you know, third, you know, third downs with certain number of yardage to go in certain play situations and, you know, how that player performed in those situations. They can interview these players and, and sit, spend time with them to whiteboard and talk about things. They have private investigators who look into their background. I have none of those things. I'm looking strictly at what I see on the field. Um, what, what, if any, lessons did you feel like you learned this year, Matt, going through the process? Is there anything sort of unique to this year? Yeah, and I think part of it was what I described with, with Swift is just kind of – and, and also with, say, Quintet Cephas, who we've talked about before here, which is that with the combine times, you know, one is that there are players who just aren't prepared. They, they aren't prepared from a, say, teaching to the test standpoint. Like just like your kid may be studying for the SAT and they take Kaplan to go, you know, get ready for the SAT. Um, you know, these, these players oftentimes have to, they get some speed coaches to work on um, some of these combine drills and get prepared for them because they're different enough that they're not a true expression to what you see them do on the field. And some guys don't always do that. And a guy like Quintet Cephas was a good example. So sometimes you have to look at the combine and understand that some of the different uh, exercises or measurements that are out there may also help you kind of understand that maybe that, you know, that Cephas who didn't run a great 40 at the combine, but he had a terrific vertical. He had a, a strong three cone and a strong um, 20 shuttle that there was that you could tell that that 40 was off that he just wasn't practiced in that in the way that he should be in terms of learning how to develop a start um so learning about that learning about um also learning about again how the combine doesn't always uh, the exercises don't apply to that player's style so if a player wins because he makes people miss because he doesn't have to bend deeply and or that he doesn't have to make hard cuts but what he can do is use what you know an example of this is a, a movement that they call curvy linear movement there's a guy by the name of sean miska who's a movement coach who works with guys like everson griffith and he's been doing it for years he coined the term curvy linear movement and it's something that it's about you know kind of like think about a motorcycle you know taking a corner at a really high speed dalvin cook's really good at doing that rather than having to make hard cuts and so he can do that, take a short corner or a long corner at high speed. A guy like um, DeAndre Swift is a good example of someone who uses that curvilinear movement well. And that can be um, something that is um, an alternative to having, having to make hard jump cuts or stop-start movements that you may see with other backs. Um, and it still worked just as effectively. So those are examples of just kind of like, again, translating the combine to either investigating where it doesn't really show up as it should 
um, or that or looking at those um, those numbers and how you can interpret it to what happens on the field. Terrific stuff as always, Matt. Great to have you back. Speaking of terrific stuff, how about all the stuff you can still bet on at BetOnline.ag? It's BetOnline, our exclusive partner. Still has hundreds of sports, events, and games to wager on, including like Russian table tennis. It's unbelievable what you can find over there. If you're like just hankering to watch some type of sport, you can go to Bet Online. Plus, they've got blackjack, online casino, all kinds of stuff, all open 24 hours a day and all online. The Bet Online casino never closes. You can bet on the weather, you can bet on stock prices. Visit the website or use your mobile device and join today to receive a welcome bonus with your first deposit 100% sign up bonus. 100%. You you deposit 100 bucks, they'll put in 100 bucks. Bet online, your online sports book experts. What a show. Really enjoyed hearing about Matt and his process and the time that he puts into that bad boy that is the rookie scouting portfolio. Awesome stuff. Again, check out today's Ross Tucker Football Podcast. If you can, rate and review this show. The College Draft, take a quick screenshot right now and then fire off an email, ross at rostucker.com. Hey, Ross and Matt, what do you think the Bucks should do? Hey, Ross and Matt, what do you think of A.J. Epinesa? Whatever, whatever your, whatever your question is for your college dude, for your NFL team, we will get to it before the draft if you rate and review and send it to me now, ross at rostucker.com. Other than that, the keg is kicked. We are all tapped out. Thanks for listening to the College Draft Podcast. Make sure to also subscribe to the Ross Tucker Football Podcast, Fantasy Feast, Even Money, and the Business of Sports. All available at Apple Podcasts, RossTucker.com, or wherever podcasts can be found.